0: Back to Detroit Strange.
1: Hi, that was such an exciting announcement. And also, that is this podcast.
0: Yes, the one that you're listening to.
1: I don't know why I called hello an announcement. (laughs) I am announcing hello. That's true.
0: I'm announcing that the podcast is starting with a hello.
1: (laughs) So in case anybody had any doubts, this is the podcast.
0: It started. We've said hello.
1: And this is a great intro.
0: Yes, it's fantastic. That's Jess over there.
1: And that is Alex over there. Um,
0: I did something I haven't done in a while.
1: That could be so many things.
0: I know. I watched, (laughs) no, I watched three new movies.
1: Oh, congratulations.
0: Because I feel like I just like got in this weird rut of where I was like, I only want to watch movies I've already seen. And, like, I don't know why I went there. That's, but
1: That's an anxiety thing, actually. I've read about this a little bit. Tracks. Yeah, because it's, like, comforting because you already know what to expect out of it, and you're not like, what's going to happen next? It doesn't mean you don't like new movies, but there's, like, an extra comfort level in something. I mean, I rewatch television shows because they're long, and that comfort factor of, like, I already know is ridiculous. Yeah.
0: I, like... Yeah, so I just like for a while was just kind of like watching stuff I've already seen. But just like this past, I think I started on Sunday. I watched like three movies. Ooh, oh, movie-thon. Like not back to back.
1: I think it's still a movie-thon if it's all in one day and you've spent half a it year day.
0: It was a couple days. It was a couple days.
1: Oh, it just, it's a movie-thon that started on Saturday, Sunday then.
0: Yes. Okay. So Sunday I watched The High Note. Have you heard of it? Mm -mm. it's Tracy Ellis Ross and Dakota Johnson
1: oh yes okay I did see a preview for it I thought that might be it but I couldn't remember what that movie was called
0: yeah the high note really doesn't fit with the like it's not a like because you think it's gonna be a punny like I don't know it just like was a very throwaway title to what the movie was actually kind of about in my opinion but
1: okay I have I don't recall (laughs)
0: Yeah, like I can't remember. I think it was like HBO Max, maybe. But like, Ooh. Uh, Tracy Ellis Ross is playing an aging diva who like had her hit her like last hit record was like ten years ago, and she's just been like touring greatest hits ever since. And then Dakota Johnson's her like bright eyed, bushy tailed assistant who's just happy to be there, but like loves this woman she's assisting for, and basically just like their relationship and okay. like how. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to give too much away, but like, just yeah, no, don't. She just like I don't know. It was it was a good movie. I really liked that one. That was the first one I watched. Then I also watched Like a Boss, and that one was on Hulu. That
1: sounds familiar. Is that like Rose Byrne,
0: Tiffany Haddish, and Salma Hayek?
1: Yes, I somewhat recall that as well. Not seen any of these so far though.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That one was definitely more of like a feel good movie. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't great, but it was like, look at these two women best friends
1: Besties. having a
0: business together and you know yeah. they're kind of a mess, but they're together. Aww. And it's like they have a small cosmetics company they started and like they're kind of floundering a bit and Selma Hyatt comes in as this like big cosmetics conglomerate lady and like Offers to, like, buy a stake in their company to kind of help get them out of it. But then, like, just, like, the dynamic of these two best friends and then this, like, rich bitch trying to, like, change them.
1: Yeah, but they stay strong, I'm sure.
0: I don't know. Oh, okay. I won't spoil it. Ooh,
1: no spoilers.
0: But, you know, like I said, not, like, the greatest movie, but, like... Mm -hmm. I think it's actually the first Tiffany Haddish movie I've seen, which feels wrong. Because I feel like she's been in some, like, she was in Girls Trip that I heard good things about, Mm -hmm. and, like...
1: Yeah, I'm trying to um, think.
0: But she was great, and I love Rose Byrne, too, so, Mm -hmm. like, I feel like anything with Rose Byrne, I'll watch.
1: Oh, that's totally fair, and I completely understand that.
0: Yeah, so definitely more of just, like, a feel-good, and then, like, the third movie I watched was a documentary... And because I am crazy, I have watched it twice. I watched it twice in two days. Ooh, which one? Console Wars.
1: Is that about wars between the middle council and cars? Where no. do the sunglasses go?
0: I. That's a great guess. It's actually um, a documentary about how... About Sega trying to break into the American video game industry. Mm-hmm. So it's like late eighties, early nineties, and it's just like they t- they're talking to like like ad execs and people who worked for Sega and people who worked for Nintendo at that time. Okay, because like I wasn't, I was like alive for part of it, but I was like just. I, like, was born halfway through the time period, so I yeah. obviously didn't know most of the stuff, but basically just, like...
1: I mean, I was alive and uh, of a different age, and I don't know.
0: <laughs> for sure. Like, it's a very niche topic, and I actually got there because before I started watching the movie, I was on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I swear, I, like, sometimes just, like, watch the most boring, nerdy shit, Like, I watched two videos that were just bar graphs across a period of time and just watching, like, the bars increase for, like, console sales for different companies. Oh. And then, like, I also watched one that was just, like, startup sounds Uh for a bunch of consoles. Like, really just, I've reached a weird point of YouTube and then I discovered that this documentary existed, immediately signed up for Paramount Plus because that's the one that one's on. And then started this movie at, like, 10. Oh, yeah. Did you know that the video game version of E.T. is what caused the American video game industry to crash in the early 80s?
1: Wait, the what? The version of what?
0: E.T. E.T. for the Atari 2600 was such a bad game. Yes. It literally took out the entire video game industry.
1: Yeah. No, I've heard about this because there's also like somebody uncovered like a dump site of like hundreds of E.T. Yeah. video games in the desert somewhere like. A decade ago or something. They
0: mentioned that in the documentary. They show like them actually burying them in the documentary. Yeah. But it was like so bad it took out the entire industry. And so basically Nintendo had the Herculean feat of bringing a home game console to the United States because everyone was just like, fuck video games. They're a waste of money, blah, 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 blah. So then, obviously, Nintendo succeeded with the Nintendo Entertainment System, Mm -hmm. which is why they called it that, because it was called the Famicom in Japan. Japan. Oh. But then Sega had the Herculean task of breaking into the market that was only Nintendo.
1: Oh, I see. Okay, yeah, yeah, because it was monopolized at that point.
0: Yeah, Yeah. because, like, Nintendo was the only game in town in terms of the United States. Mm Mm-hmm. No, it's just interesting, too, just, like, marketing and how, like, advertising towards children has changed.
1: Yeah. Well, and I was going to say, and also, I mean, take an animal, make it look intriguing, and add blue.
0: Yeah. No, they literally had, they, Sonic was part of it. They had, like, it was between Sonic and a a chick character named Eggie, like a chicken chick. Sonic originally was part of a rock band and had a human girlfriend named Madonna. But the Americans were like, no, That's get awkward. rid of the band, That's get rid awkward. of Madonna. Yeah, just yeah. give us that
1: hedgehog. Give him a little right. sidekick of a fox. Right. Who is somehow smaller than him, which is a very interesting dynamic. I was thinking
0: about that. I'm like, how is the fox smaller than the hedgehog? Is the hedgehog really big? They're both like kind of human sized.
1: Yeah, it doesn't from make what sense. I've,
0: in later games, it's been revealed. But
1: Tails is definitely smaller.
0: Yeah. Oh, for sure.
1: Like, I don't.
0: The micro fox.
1: I don't. I don't get it
0: yeah but it was just interesting all the things they tried like with the sequel to sonic they did it they were the first like video game to do it like a movie release mm-hmm. where like it was worldwide same day release and mm-hmm. they just hyped it up a bunch and like turned it into an event which is like the first time that has been done for a video game which is that's kind of the standard now
1: yeah okay it's weird
0: yeah
1: um I've not watched any documentaries or helped my brain in any way, shape or form.
0: I will argue that not all documentaries help your brain.
1: Oh, no, that's absolutely true.
0: So I've watched I've watched some real dumb documentaries.
1: Oh, same for sure. But I was going to say what I have watched, which also does not help my brain, is um, I mentioned this off air last week to you, but I am almost done with watching once upon a time the series from like nice. years ago all about fairy tale characters and I don't know why
0: it's what you needed.
1: I think it goes back to that anxiety thing of like it's just easy and Yeah. Um there's some very attractive faces going yeah. on. So
0: some princely folk.
1: Mhm. So I've been in in different realms. <laughs> That's
0: fun. Yeah. I can get
1: that. I mean, sometimes we need escape.
0: Yeah. Speaking of needing escape and being not keyed into that, have you seen the Hulu movie Songbird or like heard about it at all? No. The year is 2023 and COVID. It's basically like a pandemic movie about COVID getting worse. That's set two years in the future.
1: Let's not.
0: Right. Like, how dare you? Don't you speak this into existence? Get the fuck out of here with yeah, this movie. That is
1: what not what I'm manifesting. And no, please, just let's not um, save that shit for years and years down the, the line. Right.
0: Like right you now. make that like 10 years in the future. Yeah. Kind of thing. Like that's when you make the movie. You don't make the movie during quarantine no. about the thing that's happening. They weren't making World War Two movies while they were fighting World War Two. That's just stupid. No, well, I they're making propaganda films, but they weren't making movies about like, you know, what's going to happen in two years in this war.
1: That's true. Also, the, the movie industry was a little different in World War Two yeah, as far very, as its advancements. Yeah. Uh well, is it? I think I've like, seen
0: a movie that was set. Two like, movies came out a year then. 1945. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. Now, like two movies come out every three hours.
0: Right. It is interesting, like how the bar it's gonna sound weird. I'm gonna say the bar has been lowered. Like the bar of entry, the to
1: mm-hmm. so,
0: like being able to like put out your own content is the lowest I feel like it's ever been.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, we're here. Yeah. <laughs> Not that our bar is low. Our bar is high. <laughs> our bar is high. Our bar is the highest. It is. Um <laughs> I was going to try to make a 420 joke because that was yesterday and we're recording this 21st, but I got nothing. I literally, so.
0: Oh my God. Tomorrow is earth day. Do you know what that means?
1: Um, there's going to be a lot of pictures of the planet on Instagram.
0: Yes, but also the new Cher movie comes out. Cher and oh, the loneliest naturally. elephant. Naturally. Yeah, it's, it's a documentary about how Cher saved an elephant.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I think you told me about that actually. Probably. Yeah, I, r- Probably. I remember. Yeah, comes oh. out
0: tomorrow, or it's it'll already be out after if you're listening now.
1: Yeah, so watch it. We think. Run,
0: don't walk. Go watch it. I haven't even seen it, but I know it's going to be good.
1: Yeah, I was trying to think of an elephant pun, and I got nothing. Uh, elephant. It'll be elephant.
0: It'll be elephant. Yes. Hello, funky.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So what you stepping on over there?
1: Well, I actually. So there's a podcast I sometimes listen to called This Podcast Will Kill You. It's all about like random diseases and stuff that had happened. And sometimes Uh. like current ones, sometimes old ones. And they posted on their Instagram some different quarantini recipes. So I took one and I made it with what I have. So I made it my own. So yes. I'm just going to call this Quarantini number 37. And love it. it is, I have to think about it now. It is whiskey. And then their recipe called for grenadine. I don't have a grenadine, but I did have some like cherry moonshine, like cherries soaked in moonshine. And then the juice Ooh. is all cherry. So I use that. And there's called for orange juice, but I didn't have that. I had pineapple juice. And I did throw in a little Grand Marnier. And then lemon juice.
0: That sounds lovely and delicious,
1: mm-hmm. and it's so pretty. It's this like pink, peach. Mm-hmm. I know words, pinky peachy kind of color. And I was like, "Ooh, she pretty."
0: Yes. Hopping back to that grenadine real quick. Did you know that grenadine is actually flavored with pomegranate?
1: I thought it was apricot pits.
0: No, I'm pretty sure it's like pomegranate. That's where it gets the color from. Because I always thought it was cherries, and then I was.
1: I knew I it wasn't cherries question. because, um, but in bartending school, they told us it's hat pits. Interesting. Let's just, I'm just going to do a quick little thing. No, oh, it does say pomegranate juice. Yeah, I went to bartending school when I lived in LA for fun on a living social thing. And I swear they told us that. And now I've told so many people a lie and I feel terrible about it. Although well, this the, is your
0: impromptu correction corner.
1: But I did know that it was not cherries.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I was just like, kind of cherries.
1: Well, cause it's cherry flavored. Is it? It's supposed to be cherry flavored. Like that's what everybody thinks of it as. Like that's the closest thing that it tastes like. I think doesn't okay. mean it's made with that. It's also that's a lot true. of sugar. So that's why it doesn't taste yeah. like pomegranate.
0: Yeah. It's just like sweet red juice.
1: Yeah. Syrup.
0: Syrup. Yeah. Sweet it's red syrup.
1: Syrup. Which there's different types of it, and like there are sweeter ones than others uh out there in the world. We will say, yeah. I mean, it's just for pretty, to be honest. Like it's supposed to add a little sweetness and then just like look pretty. Yeah. So that's fine.
0: You just gotta zhuzh it up every once in a while.
1: Yeah. But thank you to this podcast will kill you for
0: inspiring me. Recipe. Inspiring
1: yeah. me. That's it. Um, I do want to mention a couple of things, too, because this was really exciting. Last weekend, I had the fortunate opportunity of recording with the host of Worst in the Industry. Mm-hmm. And I think that episode's going to be out in a couple of weeks, they said. I think they release on Fridays, if I recall correctly. So I'm excited. I got to be a guest on their show. That's going to
0: be so exciting. Yeah, they You'll have so to let fun. us know when that's like actually out so we can all listen to it.
1: I will. I will. Um, I asked them, but I am terrible yeah. and did not write it down. So
0: I totally I'm get going that. on
1: memory, and I remember it wasn't this week. It's like
0: when you ask someone their name and just immediately decide you didn't want to listen to what they actually said, and you're like, "Oh shit, what's their name?" They just told it to me.
1: Oh, I'm terrible. It with names. Often, but
0: like that's the worst.
1: Faces will will recall your face for life. Name? Uh, uh, yeah,
0: I like heard like someone talking about like. If you can only remember faces, not names that you can still kind of like, I know who you are. I just remember your name. And then you list a specific thing like
1: we met at this the bathroom mess. door open
0: for me mm-hmm. this one time or we did this together. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, but at the same time, if you just say like, I am so sorry, I'm bad with names. I know we've met. It should be OK anyway. You should not have to prove yourself yeah. to somebody else if they're asking for that proof. You're you're already off to a toxic relationship at that point with that person. Yeah. So maybe just shrug it off.
0: Yeah, that's true. Just kind. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I do try to do the thing sometimes. I'm not great at it. Where when you meet somebody, though, you try to like say their name out loud to them at some point. Like, oh, it was so nice meeting you, Alex. Or, you know, something like that. Because that's kind of like a. It puts that there's more of a chance of that retaining in your memory or you're supposed to say it like, I don't know if it's in your head, but I think it's in your head like 13 times.
0: Yeah. Something like that.
1: Yeah. And I always forget.
0: <laughs> if you want to just pull a total power move, just like see ya Tiffany, you know, a name, you know, is not right. And just like, yes. it's a dick move and it's a power move, but yeah. just kind of like your name's Tiffany now.
1: That's, kind of the opposite I think of um, yeah what, what,
0: <laughs> we've, we've gone full circle yeah. of like oh I don't know what to do and here's the worst thing you yeah. can do in this situation <laughs>
1: exactly but that's okay that's okay yeah. Um. I also wanted to mention I don't think I've mentioned this on here but the Detroit Women of Comedy Festival is coming up the first week of yes. June uh, I'm helping them with their digital production right now and it's exciting because the submissions are open. Yeah, and it's not. It's called the Detroit Women in Comedy Festival. It's not a purely only for women entertainers. It is for entertainers that support women, and I I, I want to say that as well. So, and I'm excited that it's going forward this year because last year it had to get canceled, obviously due to yeah everything getting canceled. So I think it's cool. It's going to be um, virtual i think is smart this year so yeah and
0: they're like platforms have only gotten better for this kind of thing
1: yeah yeah so it should be it should be a lot of fun and they they fill my heart
0: that's lovely i like i from like what you mentioned it seems like a great group
1: yeah yeah so but i do have a question for you would you would you be up for hearing a story
0: Yes, please tell me the story.
1: Okay, good. Uh, this one is a long one. So I do want to preface it with this is going to have to be a two-parter. So anybody listening, this will be part one of two. And yeah. I do want to also mention just a little warning up top. Uh, and this is a true crime story that I happened across. And I want to warn that the story, this is funny because I wrote a bit gruesome. I'm going to uh-huh. take that bit. I'm going to kick it outside because the story is gruesome. There are some gruesome things that happen within it. And it might have a few triggering moments in regards to sex work, abuse and assault, and also drug addiction. So I just want to kind of put those warnings out there. Yeah. As well as actually infidelity as, as well, too. So not okay. to give too much away. But have you... Ever heard of the 1985 disappearance of Dr. Alan Canty? I have not. Okay. I had not either. And there is a plethora of things out there, which we'll we'll kind of talk about towards the end. But most of my, inf- I said most, all of my information came from one book called A Life Divided by Jan Canty. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. And we'll, Any relation? We'll find out. <laughs> No, we're definitely going to talk about Jan quite a bit. Uh, I love her, but anyway, we're going to start it out. The story is it centers around a lot of people. There is I'm going to go through most of it in chronological order. There will be a little bit bouncing around, and there is somewhat a lot of names, but I'll try to be as you know specific when I can. Okay, but it mainly centers around Dr. Alan Canty, his wife Jan Canty, John Lucky Fry. Nickname and Don Spence. Okay. So we're going to go back and this is in the early 70s is where we're going to start. Jan Canty, I think she had, I didn't write this part down, but I think she had like a year of or something of college and she transferred to Wayne State. So she had just moved to the city and she was pursuing a double major of psychology and English with an emphasis in art history. At that time, she wanted to write children's books to understand children better, or she wanted to study to write children's books and understand yeah. children better. And she also thought about art therapy. And basically, she was just like a very young mind, kind of excited to take on the world.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: She had moved to the Cass Corridor, which at that time was a bit different than it is today. It's like south of like where the Fisher Building is, but like kind of moving down Cass. And at that time, it was kind of a rough area. There was a lot of crime, uh, a lot of drug use, a lot of sex work, and unfortunately, a lot of violent crimes as well. But also that made it very cost friendly. And, mm-hmm. you know, Wayne State at that time was a commuter school. So anybody going there, you either drove in or you lived where you could. Yeah. Yeah. And Jan actually knew the area pretty well. Her grandparents owned a place north of the corridor, which she actually spent a lot of family dinners at, had a lot of fond memories. Her family seemed like they were kind of like a tight-knit family, got along really well, all that kind of stuff. They sound very lovely, supportive. Uh, But they also, her parents mandated that Jan become like an independent adult, essentially upon hitting adulthood. So Mm -hmm. she still had to like kind of work a lot for Mm -hmm. the things she achieved. And in the spring of 72, she was looking for a job. An old high school friend knew that a man named Dr. Alan Canty was a psychologist who ran his practice out of the Fisher building. And he was looking for a typist to help him with a book he was working on. Friend set up an interview. And when Jan showed up, she didn't even have enough to cover the charge for the parking garage. Oh, dang. Yeah. And she got nervous because, you know, you paid when you exited. And she got a Mm -hmm. little bit nervous about it. But she also was like not afraid to kind of take charge and say what she needs, which is great. She walked into a boring beige office and things actually went well. So she even asked for an advancement of pay for parking after receiving the job. Nice. Yeah. And Al kind of chuckled and was like, yeah. And as she put it, he was, quote, easygoing, animated, bright, and patient, but bungling and hesitant to maintain eye contact. Okay. They would get to know each other. She would find out things like Al was a divorced man who spoke highly of his ex and was pretty easy to talk to. He was a big supporter of her dreams. And eventually the two began to see one another outside of the office as well as, despite their 18-year age difference, uh, start to date. Interesting. And when Al first met Jan's parents, they weren't concerned about the age, but they were concerned about his tendency to bluff or exaggerate upon things. Okay. But Jan seemed happy. So they were, you know, good with it. Yeah. But meeting his parents did not go quite as smoothly. The first time they were heading to their house at the last minute, Al turned the car around, citing that it wasn't a good time.
0: Ooh, interesting.
1: hmm And the next try, he introduced her as his employee. And they were dating at this point. Oh. And on that trip... His parents basically interrogated her. She felt very like. Attacked. Yeah. And his parents were somewhat intense. His father, for example, was a self-trained bachelor level forensic psychologist for the Detroit Police Department. And in 1951, he had even made headlines for a lecture with the Detroit Council of PTAs about sexual predators in which he blamed, quote, neurotic mothers and frustrated school teachers. For inflicting more damage than sex offenders and for creating more anxiety within children. So that's Yikes. the household he grew up in.
2: Uh,
1: yeah, that's like such a scary way of thinking. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit more. We're going to expand on his childhood essentially at this point because it's good to know where people come from sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Al grew up in Gross Point, and his parents were very well connected to the city. It seems like it might have been one of those houses where appearances was kind of everything, but you can see all yeah. your emotions. And his mother used to call him Buster after the comic strip Buster Brown, which uh-huh. is something I've heard of, but I had no idea what Buster Brown was actually about. Have you ever heard of it?
0: I've definitely heard of it. I couldn't same. I couldn't tell you yeah. anything about it, though.
1: It's just that's an old timey comic. Yeah, exactly what I thought of it. Oh, yeah. Basically, it was about a child of a wealthy family who pulled pranks all the time and had a dog. Okay. Yeah. So Al's mother used to call him Buster because she thought that was so cute. And on his first day at prep school, she got him the Buster Brown outfit and a dog to match.
0: Okay. That's a little mudge.
1: Yeah. Later on. So early in life, he was identifying with this Buster Brown character. Later on, he would identify himself with James Dean. Kind of a grown up version, sort of. I mean, not pranky, but like, I don't know.
0: Rebel without a cause, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And he developed a flair for thinking of himself somewhat as a performer. His high school friends years later would share that they identified Al as, quote, fascinated by deceit.
0: Interesting. That's an interesting phrase for them to throw around like that.
1: Yeah, he and he did actually I didn't write this down either, but he did actually participate in like local all male like theater groups and stuff sometimes. Um, And I kind of get the feeling that like and we'll talk more about it later on, but anytime he would get in trouble, it would be kind of like hush hush, like we can't hurt the family name. Yeah, kind of a deal. We're not going to talk about that. Right. So kind of a very like closed off upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. So Alan Jan, while dating, uh, he encouraged her to think about grad school because she was about to finish her undergrad. Around this time, too, he also took her to New York where he was attending an event at the Institute of Psychoanalysis. He whined and dined her there and he told her to charge whatever she wanted to her room it was a great trip and they would actually come back a few months later so he was kind of like yeah you know just showing her the world because she hadn't had that opportunity really at this point right much yet somewhere in the timeline they were having breakfast at one of their favorite places here in detroit and she proposed to him
0: interesting yeah
1: they had a very modest ceremony where they drove away in a 1932 Burgundy Ford convertible, but they had no time for a honeymoon because they were both kind of, she was working on her master's and he had his practice. Yeah. Yeah. Jan finished her PHB in the summer of 76 and Al supported her fully. Like I said, in pursuit. PhD. Yeah. Uh, fla- I forget. I didn't write that part down. <laughs> Okay. I forget exactly, but it, I, I'm i pretty sure I meant to write Ph.D. because this was not a Ph.D. yet. No, for sure. Yeah. And in 78, she finished her master's and she came to Al again, you know, expecting support of Al with the desire to continue work towards a Ph.D. of uh-huh. the D variety. But this time his reaction wasn't quite as supportive. She, he basically was like, well, why don't you take a break? Uh Which is a little, a little weird considering like his just like overabundance of support before. Yeah. This might be more clear the more we learn about him, but it basically seems like he liked to be the savior and he didn't want to be outshined.
0: That's exactly what I was thinking is like, oh, he doesn't want competition.
1: Yeah. I don't think it's even the necessarily competition. I think it's just that he wants to be the one helping like the, 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 yeah. It's not that he wants to be the winner, but he wants to be the one people need. Yeah, kind of a thing. Okay. Yeah. So she told Al though that no, my advisors suggest against a break. It's you know kind of hard to go back. Yeah. To school sometimes. He relented, sighed, and agreed they could make it work. But she finished that, and when she wanted to pursue a postdoctoral fellowship, he didn't think it was necessary. Uh Which this is the type of thing like you have to apply to and get accepted to. Not everybody gets a fellowship. Yeah. So, I mean, you are getting paid in a fellowship, generally speaking. So it's a job. It's a starter job, essentially. Yeah. But luckily, Jan was a badass and she did it anyway, but notes that, quote, The tectonic plates below us had shifted. His unspoken need to be needed and in control had been nullified. I wanted reciprocity. Al wanted dependency. I wanted autonomy. Al wanted subjugation. The moorings of our marriage had loosened. We began to quietly drift apart.
0: Interesting. Yeah. It's a it's a very good way to put it. Oh yeah. Very poetic.
1: Yeah, she has she has a way of speaking, and again, I mean, we'll get. We'll get to it. But I mean, this is she is a psychologist. Like at this point, she's already through yeah. her uh, PhD. And PhD. Pursuing, yeah. So she has a way of thinking that is refreshing. So uh, it's now November of 1983. Jan was on medical leave because she had mono. OK. And she couldn't celebrate Al's 50th birthday with him because mono. You, yeah. You can't really do too much with that. Yeah. And her doctors actually advised maybe she think about visiting her parents in Arizona. You know, maybe a little bit of sun and just kind of like.
0: Try her climate.
1: Yeah. And, you know, she worked hard. She worked a lot. She was a very hard, diligent worker. So maybe just like all of that would kind of be good for her and her parents. So maybe they could kind of like help her out and all that kind of stuff. Al had even given her a first class ticket to make the travel better for her. Uh Uh-huh. So she went, so she was in Arizona at the time. So as a birthday gift, Al's mother, Gladys, I believe his father had passed by this point, but I don't remember the exact date. So Gladys is kind of solo from this point on. Mm -hmm. And she gave Al $500 for his birthday. A grown man who has his own practice and she gave him $500. (laughs) Which apparently burned (laughs) burned a hole in his pocket and soul. Ooh. Because this is the day things really started to roll downhill, sort of. We'll learn a little bit about other downhill moments prior to this, but mostly. That day, he decided to head out of the Fisher Building and head down Cass to the corridor. As I mentioned, a little bit different from today. He stopped at 2nd Street in Charlotte, and he saw a young woman this would be 18-year-old Dawn Spence. Yeah, he so asked if she was working. She confirmed, and he gave her $10 for her name and number. And he told her his name was Dr. Al Miller.
0: Not his last name.
1: But he kept the Dr. Al. Yeah. This is a character he would play for the next few years, and it's we'll get to it all, but it's kind of amazing the parallels he would make this character have to his real life. But then also like the lies, it was just like little twists for a lie.
0: Yeah. Like, like you're just changing one part of your name at that point. Like, I feel like, why wouldn't you change your first name too? Like if you're, if you're going to keep the doctor, yeah. especially.
1: No, that's why it's very strange. Cause he didn't veer that far away from the truth. He just like twisted everything like a few degrees. Yeah. So he wanted a GFE known as a girlfriend experience at the time. Uh-huh. If you want to know what that is, go ahead and look it up because yeah, we don't need to go into it. And an hour later, they met up at the White Grove Diner. Okay. Don charged him $50. They continued to the Temple Hotel, which has since been torn down. Thank God. Because this place is a place where rates existed by the hour. Yeah, it was also and this is why I said thank God to being turned down. It was also extremely racist and known locally as the quote unquote White House because you were screened at the door.
0: Yikes.
1: Yeah. So after the experience, Al tipped Dawn generously and told her he wanted to meet up again. Meanwhile, Jan's parents were taking great care of her and Al ended up calling around 11 p.m. her time. So like 1 or 2 a.m. here. Yeah. He was surprised Jan answered, but she said she didn't want to miss his call. He started to cry and told her he was worried about her. She said, I'm fine, and asked how he had celebrated his birthday. And he told her he went to his favorite restaurant called Chung's, which was a place that like, she wasn't really a fan of. So that would kind of yeah. make sense. Tracks. So by mid-December, Jan was feeling better, and she returned to Detroit, but she had a lot of fellowship hours to catch up on. Yeah. By midsummer, she was feeling a lot of fatigue. She's working like, you know, 70 hour weeks and such. Yeah. This is when she found out she was pregnant. Oh, no. Something that she thought was not possible for her, as she had been told by doctors. But the excitement didn't last too long, as the next day she actually had a miscarriage and began to cry before she could even tell Al. Dang. Yeah. So she kind of told him why she was you know, breaking down at the moment. And he told her that she shouldn't have gone through it alone and lamented on how 51 was an old age for a new dad.
0: <laughs>
1: really supportive there.
0: Really just uh, making it all about him.
1: Yeah. Uh, and this is kind of when things, she started to notice a little bit, like things were getting a little frostier between them, but I'm sure it was when, like, one of those things, like she noticed it and thought like, I'm making it up. I'm making it up for a while. And she didn't say that necessarily, but. Yeah. So she finished up her fellowship and she was actually looking to start her own practice also in the Fisher building. So they were planning on a joint office. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe around this time, too, she also got herself a car that she called Chili Pepper. It was red and some kind of classic car that she was like really excited about. And it was kind of like her pride and joy was this Aww. car. Yeah. Like, ooh, I've always wanted this thing and now I, I can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Al was starting to spend less and less time at home. And he also started a brick collection. Brick? Yes. So he started collecting bricks from like all over town to pave the driveway. Okay. Yeah. So that was like his pastime when he was home, essentially. They had like a big carriage house.
0: We'll find some bricks.
1: Yeah. They lived in Grosse Point. I forgot to write this part down. They lived somewhere very nice. I believe on a street called, if I remember correctly, Berkshire. And it was like a Tudor style. It had a carriage house. Just like, we're not going to say mansion, but like very large. A nice ass house. Yeah. Nice ass house. Yeah. Over the next few months, some more changes were happening that Jan noted, but like couldn't place. Mm -hmm. Al started to take a deeper interest in his appearance. And that was a bit out of character. He'd always been... It kind of seems like she never used this word, but schlubby.
2: Yeah, kind
1: of like a little, just like ooh. yeah. And all of a sudden, he was paying attention to his clothes and quaffing more. We'll say one time he even arrived home in a very stylish coat, which was super weird. Kind of click that into your memory.
0: Midlife
1: crisis. Yeah. Some of the story we're going to come out from two angles too. So, lock some of this in. Uh.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And he was working a lot later and often not very hungry at dinner time, which was just unusual and strange. Yeah. So we're going to take a break from Alan Jan for a second. And we're going to talk about Dawn, the woman he met on his birthday. Dawn. Yeah. So her name was Dawn Spence. She was born January 11th, 1965 and raised in Harper Woods. So pretty close to Detroit. Yeah. Her parents had married a year earlier, but their relationship was a little rocky and it would sometimes turn violent as well. Uh, There was some alcohol addiction on her father's part. So it wasn't necessarily like a great situation. There was a lot of insecurity and tension in her childhood household, basically. Mm -hmm. Her father was very controlling, but also worked a lot. And her mother was rarely home. So she and her sister were pretty much alone most of the time. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: She started experimenting with like, stolen cigarettes by elementary school. And then somewhere, I think in junior high, she de- developed a like for mescaline.
0: Damn.
1: Yeah. Then came Valium, Tylenol 4s, amphetamines, some of which she got by, I think, raiding her mother's medicine stash, possibly. Dang. Uh, she was once expelled for smoking in class and setting her schoolwork on fire. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah uh burn
0: it on the school
1: yeah i know it's kind of i do i i feel for this whole situation but just the the visual of that is kind of like everybody's dream (laughs) like not actually but yeah yeah and around the age of 12 she attempted suicide unfortunately with her mother's medication she spent six weeks in the hospital but after the discharge things didn't get much better Her Mm -hmm. parents divorced, but lived together for a short time, which there's a lot of tension in that situation.
0: Oh, for sure.
1: In the end, her father, Roy, won custody of his two daughters and her mother moved to Windsor with a new man and for some reason encouraged Dawn to correspond with an inmate. Uh Uh, Despite all this, she was actually really talented academically, like just really good at school. Uh And she was on track to graduate valedictorian of her high school. All this shit. Yeah. She had one good friend named Dee who was very loyal and had a very clear head on her shoulders and urged Dawn to break off the correspondence with the inmate because they think it was becoming a little more romantic. Yeah. And meantime, Dawn had grown into a very beautiful woman. She kind of had this like natural reddish brown hair, big doe eyes uh-huh. was described. Uh, she's about five foot four, just an attractive woman. Yeah. And eventually Dawn's gaze kind of turned to a guy called named Donnie Scott Carlton. Dee also told Dawn, no, please do not. Yeah. But Dawn didn't listen. She basically said that, like, he was nice to her and gave her attention. Dawn began working and she saved for a car. And two months shy of graduation, she left school before becoming valedictorian. To follow Donnie into the city, into the corridor in the spring of 1982, where he was working in an arcade and skimming a little off the top.
0: I mean, given the choice between graduating high school and living off arcade skimmings.
1: Yes, with Donnie. Pretty
0: tough choice. Donnie. Donnie. Yeah. Just... Don and Donnie.
1: Mm-hmm. And when Don moved in with Donnie, they had some friends over one night. This is how quality of a man this guy is. Uh, this is when one guest told Donnie he knew a couple of guys who would pay to spend some time with Don.
0: Just, you know, as one discusses.
1: At a party, a gathering. Yeah. Ugh, it's just, ugh.
0: Yeah, just a lot of skis happening.
1: It makes my skin crawl. And Don overheard this and she started thinking, yeah, I could do that.
0: Not the reaction I would have had, but good for her.
1: We're not going to say good for her. I mean, like, we all make our own choices and I would never uh, tell somebody. Not the
0: best choice.
1: I would never look down on somebody for making the choices they need to for themselves.
0: But it's kind of just like, hey, you could do this. She's like, yeah. Yeah. I could.
1: It just, it didn't, it doesn't seem like it. I think she had other choices. I guess like that's. Yeah. Yeah. And Donnie decided he'd help her with it. He helped her find her first John. Uh, When she returned home, she basically said, "Eh." or he said, how was it? Or something like that. And she said, no big deal. She was more upset with him because he asked her to shower before they could be together.
0: I mean, fair though.
1: Yeah. Now we're going to enter John, nicknamed Lucky Fry. So if you hear me say Lucky or Fry, it's the same human. You will not forget him. He referred to himself as a sponsor of sex workers, never uh, calling himself a pimp. He Sponsor. Sponsor. He saw Don and told Donnie he wanted to be your sponsor and that he had experience doing so. We're going to dive a little into his past and a little bit about him. So John Fry stood at 5'10". He was born August 31st, 1946, by the Tennessee-Kentucky border. Mm -hmm. He was known for being impatient, corrosive, arrogant, aggressive, and quite controlling.
0: Yikes, not a great combo.
1: No. He also, unfortunately, did not have the greatest memories of childhood. He was the oldest and helped with his younger brothers. His father was both physically and verbally abusive. And their mother never dared to intervene. Which...
0: Understandably so.
1: Lucky began using drugs at the age of 13 and by 21 had progressed to heroin. Damn. Which he would continually go back to between incarceration periods. His favorite drug became a mixture of cocaine and heroin.
0: I don't uh, know. You could mix those.
1: Yeah, it was called Mixed Jive or something back in the day. And Don also liked this mixture. Yeah. He dropped out of school and he tried to join the army at one point, though. Okay. Uh, but he was court-martialed twice, and after his mother passed away in 67, he was sentenced for desertion and let go with dishonorable discharge. Because I think he just didn't, like, go the through the right venues of, like, how to go visit.
0: Of course he didn't. Yeah. Like, I would have expected nothing less.
1: Yeah. And I think he already had probably had some strikes on him, but I don't, I don't know. Uh, in 1969, he was jailed at Jackson, the Jackson prison, where he... Yeah. Yeah. And by 1971, he was housed in the Indiana Federal Penitentiary. And in 78, the Minnesota Federal Penitentiary at the same time as Tim Allen.
0: Did not know Tim Allen was in jail.
1: Oh, yeah. He had like a, I mean, kind of an old Coke thing happening. Did not know that.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean,. Probably before like the Toy Story and Home Improvement Days, though.
1: Oh, yes. Oh, definitely. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, because I believe, didn't he do stand up for a while? I think he started in stand up.
0: I honestly know nothing about him other than he's from Michigan. Barriers commercials sometimes. I and just like, remember
1: tool time. Ho, 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 ho. I can't do the noise.
0: Yeah, I was never super into Home Improvement. Shocking. Nobody.
1: I mean, it was fine. A bunch of
0: guys doing tool stuff.
1: That's not what it was about. There were th- three, I, uh, there were three boys around my age, and I thought they were kind of cute. So like, yeah. I was fine with the show.
0: I like. I mean, the mom was the best character. I was just about
1: to say, and the mom had some good, like, <laughs> no moments where she just felt like mm, you're wrong. Yeah, stop being a jackass.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: So anyway, Lucky. Oh, and he also served time in the Marquette Penitentiary up north
0: kind of made a tour
1: yep most of his lockups were for things like bad checks conspiracy larceny counterfeiting, assault breaking and entering
0: okay tracks
1: so again a tour of all the things
0: yeah he likes a variety yes you know
1: eventually he completed high school behind bars and in the early 80s he joined a prominent motorcycle club in detroit and earned his nickname lucky Basically because he survived an assault from a rival biker gang in 83 that he probably should not have survived.
0: Lucky. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: The aftermath, uh, he shaved his head and added to his tattoo collection.
0: I'm guessing on his head? Everywhere. Everywhere? Okay. Yeah.
1: A lot of them on his arms. Um, There were, (sighs) he had some really racist one on the back of his arms, but I can't. Ooh. I saw that one not in this book. I saw that one somewhere else and I didn't write it down. It was just like a passing thing. But some of the ones I did write down is he had FTW, which stood for fuck the world. Okay. He had another one of Tweety Bird next to a skull and crossbones predicting, as you are, I was, as I am, you will be.
0: Tweety and skull and crossbones? hmm What an odd combination. And a
1: very cryptic.
0: Yeah. Gross.
1: Mm-mm.
0: No.
2: I
1: don't like it. And then he had another one, LBT, living on borrowed time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say it was like 17 tattoos or something. I Just a lot of tattoos. Yeah. Uh, So he would go on to get married and divorced three times and he would have five children, none of whom he would support.
0: Okay. I'm not shocked.
1: Yeah. A few accounts from some exes and some of the girls he sponsored is one told a story of when she laid a hand on him in anger and he grabbed a bat and clubbed all of her furniture to smithereens and put holes in her walls before three men subdued him.
0: Holy shit. Mm-hmm.
1: Another named Cheryl Krizanovic was an ex he had forced into the trade by beating and choking her.
0: Yikes.
1: Yeah, just absolutely disgusting and terrifying.
0: Yeah. Just, mm-mm.
1: Uh, There's another account of him putting one of his girls in the hospital for six weeks with broken ribs and rutured, a ruptured spleen.
0: That is no joke.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just... Not a good guy. No. I, I, Yeah.
0: Sounds like a bad dude. Yeah. Real bad guy.
1: Shockingly, though, he did kind of have a weird soft spot. Sometimes when he saw other men mistreating women, which is kind of strange. That is. Yeah. I think it also comes down to like a weird control thing, though. But yeah, I mean, this is just like my own thoughts. So he knew that Donnie was beating Don and he wanted to get her away from him. Uh-huh. And gradually Don began to grow affectionate towards Lucky and began to offer him some drugs. Yeah. Don decided to leave Donnie and Donnie said no. So Fry threatened to kill Donnie. Yep. Yep. <laughs> she moved in with Fry to an apartment on Charlotte Street in 1983 and they celebrated with a lot of drugs and a long drive to Wild Lake. Why Wild Lake? I don't know. Maybe they were going yeah. to that amusement park. I don't know. Yeah. last week.
0: Possibly. They were like, we're all drugged up. Let's go on the Ferris wheel.
1: Yeah. And within a year, Donnie was incarcerated for clubbing a church bookkeeper to death. And he wasn't even 23. He clubbed a, a what? A church club? A, a church, church bookkeeper. I think he was trying to steal from the church. Okay. So... Like I said, Dawn began to become affectionate towards Lucky. She would write him love letters on the regular and he would continue to sponsor her.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, Lucky, though, just I, I've i already painted a picture, but we're going to paint a little bit more of one. He had one rule because he was a racist piece of shit. She couldn't sleep with any black men.
0: Uh-huh. Really, sir?
1: Like, no.
0: Just like well-rounded garbage, just like garbage in all accounts.
1: Yeah. So somewhere around this time, Dawn was picked up for solicitation by the Detroit police unit in charge of investigation of sex workers. Uh, Bando, Bando, one of the cops on this part of the force, wanted to try and help her. And so he actually called her father, Roy. Roy invited Dawn to come back home and arrange for them to meet up the following day at a cafe. Bando and his partner met with Roy the next day to wait Dawn's arrival, but she never showed. Huh. Mm-hmm. And she received her seventh arrest for solicitation in early December 1983, just shortly after seeing Al.
2: Oh, okay. Mm -hmm.
1: John, well, Lucky, saw Al as a potential man to take advantage of, as he had been with Don three times in this particular week. Because at this point, Don and Al were meeting regularly. Yeah. He wanted a face-to-face with Doc Miller. Because mm-hmm. remember that's his, yeah, pseudonym, and he told them that he needed two hundred and fifty dollars for Don's bail. Thing is, though, Don was already released, and watched this interaction from upstairs, and the bail money was not even two hundred and fifty dollars. Oh, so they were they were taken out for a ride. They were seeing yeah. what they could squeeze. Yeah. Later that month, Fry wanted to go on a trip with his younger brother. Back to Tennessee where they were from to visit their father and also their mother's grave, who had unfortunately passed at this time. But Lucky was concerned about his brother's drug use. And despite he and Don having their own addiction situations, he demanded everybody going clean up for the trip. But how would they pay for such a trip? Well,
0: um, squeezing Alex was I've been led to believe. Yes.
1: <laughs> and Doc Miller.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. I love that this guy, Lucky, like, um, I hate that it reminds me of a Bible verse of, like, remove the log from your own eye before you remove the log from your neighbor's eye. And it's just like, bruh, why are you against all these things that you are very clearly doing?
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it's there's There's such a weird irony to it, like. It, also, don't be a hypocrite,
0: right? Like. I don't know. I imagine him have one of his tattoos was like a tattoo spelled wrong or like it was like honor among thieves or something like that. Like oh,
1: probably probably, you know, would not be surprised. So Dawn, of course, went to Doc Miller, Al, and asked for three hundred dollars. So, of course, Al brought her a thousand.
0: <sighs> uh, just over delivering.
1: Mm-hmm. And mind you, yes, like he's a therapist. He has decent money, but. I don't know. This adds up. This adds up. Right. We'll have some numbers later. But so off, Don and Lucky were to meet with his brother, his brother's wife, kids, uh, and their abusive father. The trip would end terribly with Jim, his brother, taking his own life with a gun to his head in their father's car, leaving behind his two children with their horrible mother. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. And John, John was, he loved his brother. So John Fry was probably. Pretty devastated sad. by this, but yeah. what did he do? Oh, he stole the car that his brother had shot himself in their father's car and returned to Detroit.
0: Just a uh, real peach.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. And when they returned, though, Dawn was rushed to the hospital after a bad reaction to an injection as an abscess had grown pretty bad and into a gnarly life-threatening infec- infection. Basically, if she had waited any longer, she probably would have died.
0: Damn, like. Mm-hmm. No thanks to needle
1: drugs. No. So her good friend, Doc Miller, who at this point had told them that he worked at Detroit Receiving Hospital as a medical doctor. Oh, my God. So another just just a little bit away from the truth. He came by to review her charts. What? So that's BS.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So anyway, Dawn told him that she had a car she needed to buy the stolen one from Tennessee that they already owned because they, well, not owned, but they already had in their possession because they stole it. Yeah. So what did Al do? He gave her $800 to buy this car she needed to buy.
0: Because, of course, at this point, why not?
1: Yeah. Yeah. By mid-January 1984, Don was discharged. So naturally, it was time for a spending spree, one of many. And who are you going to go on a spending spree with? Sugar daddy. Sugar daddy. So this time she used Al's money, though, not just for things for herself, but also to get Al a gift.
0: Uh, That's how, yeah. Is it really a gift if it's bought with that person's money?
1: Right. And the interesting thing is two men's coats were purchased, one for Lucky and one for Al, which Al ended up wearing. Does a nice new fancy coat for Al sound familiar?
2: It sure does. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. By March 24th, Dawn was arrested once again for solicitation. Fry asked again for bail money. This time, though, surprisingly, Al refused.
0: Weird time to grow a backbone.
1: We're not going to say that it was a fully developed, developed, grown backbone at this point. Yeah. But yes, he did, however, still visit her, signing in as Al Canty, not Miller.
0: Well, there goes the charade.
1: Well, except for they didn't necessarily, I mean, the police see it, but I don't know that they necessarily have access to that, but just an interesting, like, what he does in certain situations. So that spring, he started to have frequent dinner dates with Dawn before heading home for a second meal with his wife. Him not being hungry at dinner. Does that sound familiar? It sure does. Yeah.
0: That's kind of what I was thinking when you said it. I'm like, he's eating dinner with someone else. Yeah.
1: Uh, The two dined at Chung's, that restaurant he liked that Jan did not. And this is where he would tell her all about his BS life.
0: Oh, so he's just making stuff up.
1: And she gave no fucks. She did not like him. She literally would say like terrible things about him all the time behind his back. But she listened because she was being paid. Yeah. And honestly, at some point, too, the, the actual physical stuff pretty much almost stopped. I might have this later, but I'm just saying it now. Pretty yeah. much almost stopped and it just became about like him taking care of her and telling her these BS stories. Weird. Mm-hmm. So this is what he basically told her his life was. He told her that he rented a house in Gross Point, which he left after a terrible crash had claimed his life's wife, his wife's life, uh-huh. who his wife had also been a sex worker and had a drug addiction. He now lived in a small apartment near Detroit Receiving Hospital where he worked day and night as a medical doctor. That's Al Miller's life.
0: uh, What a weird picture to paint. I'm just like, I've got so many question marks.
1: Mm -hmm. Like why? why? Yeah. So around this time, he actually had his first meet up with Lucky, too. They met at a bar and Lucky really didn't like Al, but he also saw the opportunity to extort more. Yeah. So Fry ordered a whiskey. So did Al. Because, you know, big man.
0: Yeah, you got to keep up.
1: Uh, Al would ask Fry how he got into the business and then would go on to tell him more medical stories that were lies. He also claimed that he paid his way through college by playing pool. (laughs) And he was like an okay, Like, he wasn't bad at pool. I think they might have played pool. But what a weird lie. Right. It's just kind of like all these lies. It's like, why? I don't know. But Lucky was bending the rules as Dawn urged him so that they could basically get more heroin. In early April of 84, Al showed up unexpectedly at their door and asked Fry how much it would cost for him to bow out. Basically, like, leave, get out of Dawn's life. Al offered $2,000 and a plane ticket to anywhere. John countered with $10,000 and a ticket. Out countered once again with $5,000 and no ticket plus a promise to never see Dawn again. Sold. Okay. They agreed the pay date would be April 13th. We're going to keep April 13th in our head from this point on. Yeah. Later, it was revealed that Fry would then go on to brag to a friend that his actual plan was to cash it out and give half to his friend for the hit. But his friend was like, no, nah, dude, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Again, Don and Al weren't even having physical encounters at this point in time. Most of their meetups were just him driving her around to get drugs while he talked uh-huh. about his fake life, his fake job, the newspaper and whatever bullshit he wanted to talk about. Yeah. So April 13th came and we're actually going to go back to Gladys a little bit, his mother. And Gladys called Jan to tell her something was wrong with her son, Al.
0: Yeah. Understatement of the century.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. He wasn't talking when she called him. I think she called his office and he answered, but was not talking on the other end. Jan raced to him in his office to find him basically like catatonic. Oh, my God. He was pale, perspiring, staring, hyperventilating, drooling, and basically having like just a full on panic attack. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but she couldn't figure out which was happening. So she started kind of looking through the papers on his desk, called their answering service to see if he had gotten any calls, but it had actually been quiet for weeks. Yeah, yeah, what's she's going on? She trying to figure out, like, did something spark this? Yeah. So she took him immediately to see her mentor from her fellowship, a guy named Dr. Rutledge. And the whole time, Al would mumble occasionally, but that was about it. Uh, Rutledge helped them get a transfer to U of M for further diagnosis that would start the next day. While driving him home that night and during dinner, she would hear him mumble things like, "You are snow, Cass. Have I been bad? Did I stand tall? Cleansing, Kaju. Buster, bus, Buster." And then he fell asleep, fully dressed, shoes and all. Okay. Yeah, it's like real,
0: real yeah. intense.
1: The next morning, a friend and her husband helped Jan take Al to Yovam because yeah, good friends. And during this trip, he mumbled things like. Am I bad? $5,000. John. To which Jan replied, yes, John is driving us. Yeah. The friend, not John Lucky Fry. And the car hit a bump and Alan yelled out all of a sudden, Kaju, Cass, John, I'm bad. Do you love me, Jan Jan? Do you? Am I tall?
0: Okay. So he's just like fully losing it, it sounds like.
1: A lot of, yeah, a lot going on. And the doctors at U of M were basically just stumped because like, this is. Yeah. What's going on? Like what happened? Like something, something sparked this. Yeah. And Jan told them that he'd been working long hours and it seemed more distant and would do weird things around the house, like leave the fridge open, like nothing detrimental, but just like, huh, that's. Yeah. Not regular behavior for him. When asked about the bad news, though, she had nothing. She was like, I. No. So they called his mother, Gladys, to ask if anything had happened like this before, you know, his history. And she said, no, never, which would later be revealed to be a lie.
0: Not shocked that everyone's lying.
1: Yeah. And we'll get into that a little bit. So during admission, he started screaming, They're coming. They're coming for us all. The wicked, the evil, they're coming. And then proceeded to get on his hands and knees and follow Jan around saying, They're bad. You're pure. I've been bad. Birthday. Pure as snow. As snow. As snow.
0: It, it just kind of seems like the record in his head is just like skipping
1: tracks. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so to take this CD out. Like oh, wipe it a little bit. hmm And as Jan was walking away, she could actually hear him screaming, mommy mommy don't leave me take care of me don't leave me okay so just yeah just all over the map like unresolved yeah things going on up there her friends drove her home and she started to reflect realizing she didn't really know much about her husband's life at this point they'd kind of become glorified roommates yeah for the next six weeks al would stay in the hospital and during this time jan went to his office to check up on his mail and kind of like try to figure some stuff out basically because this is weird shit
0: she was nancy drew in that case
1: yeah and this is when she started to discover the financial issues that were starting to pile up
0: oh shit
1: Mm -hmm. like just (sighs) she had always felt like he was taking care of that stuff so she kind of like would let him yeah and you know this confused her so like how how had he been working this many hours and how could money have gotten this bad? Yeah. Like it just made no sense. She also found unused Detroit receiving hospital envelopes as well as two from Harper and Grace and one from Henry Ford, which he would have no reason to have those. Yeah. envelopes.
0: he didn't work in any of those places.
1: Mm-hmm. And also the checkbook was overdrawn. Yeah. So she asked his mother, but no answers were given.
0: She's helpful as ever.
1: Yep. So he was discharged on May 8th, May eighth, nineteen 1984, and advised not to jump back into work right away. The final diagnosis was that he had suffered decompensation. Okay. Which I've not heard of Me before. Um, but it was also revealed at this time that his mother had failed to disclose that he had more of a history than she led them to believe. Amongst the things she didn't disclose was he was jailed multiple times for unpaid parking tickets in his late teens twice. Not super relevant, but just kind of a little.
0: I'm just more surprised you can get jailed for a parking ticket.
1: Oh, twice. Yeah. Twice. But the larger thing that might have been helpful is that he was hospitalized for bad nerves after his divorce, uh, which he had said happened in 72 and he had told Janet was 67. Okay. So a little lie. Yeah. Big lie there. And also, um, he had a breakdown after receiving a draft notice in 1951. And somewhere in childhood to teens, he had been admitted by his father to the Haven, which is a private sanitarium in Rochester for the rich and confidential. Okay. So just like that would have been good history for the doctors to probably. Right. Know these things. But we don't talk about those things.
0: No. private.
1: Yes. So private. Because uh, that's helpful. Right. So the drive home was very weird. According to Jan, she suggested a trip maybe for them to, you know, calm down, kind of take an R&R type thing. Yeah. Al just kind of like nodded. But when she told him she'd gone to his office to organize his papers, he got mad and started yelling. You think because you're almost done, you can take control. So just total shift of everything. Yeah. And she said, hey, dude, you better listen to the doctors because I can't do this again. And if you're going to act like this, no, just kind of like a.
0: Don't do this. Don't try it.
1: Yeah. So and she was just feeling kind of like an eerie creepiness anyway around her. Oh, for sure. So she decided it was time to install some security cameras at home. She also decided to kind of like because of all the financial things going on, get a safety deposit box. And then she also began to document everything in their house in an album with captions. Smart. Yeah. And she made photocopies of like everything, credit cards, driver's license, insurance cards, you know, all the things for the deposit box. She also added an envelope of cash and a diamond ring. Oddly enough, this did spark a little change now, though, and he started to open up a little bit. And he started actually like sifting through his crap in the carriage house because he had a lot of car parts and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and opening up a little bit how controlling his parents had been, how they supported him financially, but like not necessarily emotionally. Yeah. Uh, by early fall, Jan began to reflect on it all. Overdue bills, canceled lunches, his new consumption of liquor and his avoidance of basically everything with them. Yeah. And she decided to ask him about the mumblings he had had during the breakdown. He told her it was just a f- fatigue and uh, And that he was supervising a therapist who had scheduled someone who was a sex worker and the female therapist had gotten in over her head and started seeing the patient outside of a clinical setting. So that's...
0: Yeah. Lie.
1: Just shift that truth. Just shift it. Right. Which I wrote, which is just fucking wild. Yeah. But Jan was smart and she wasn't buying it. So he told her he couldn't be cheating because he was either working or at home.
0: Okay, that's... (laughs) Very easily, verifiably false.
1: Yeah. And the following week, he announced that he had added jail consultation consultations to his schedule. Jan was like, what the fuck? Why would you do that? You're already so busy. Like, why would you add another job to your job? Right. And she offered to go with him, but he said no. She finally asked him if they were having financial issues. And he responded, it's complicated.
0: It's complicated because I keep giving our money away.
1: Uh-huh. And Jan wanted... She said, okay, fine. We we need to sit down. We need to plan and organize our schedules and our finances. And he said he would do so with her as soon as he was free.
0: So he just kept Free from schedule. what, sir? Yeah.
1: Free from what? So at the same time, too, we're going to shift a little bit over to Lucky and John. And... Lucky's friend named Frank McMaster, who will come in to play eventually, had driven down from his cabin near Petoskey to pay a visit. Lucky told him all about his situation with Al and also confessed that he was thinking about leaving Dawn because of her snotty attitude. Mm -hmm. So he's getting kind of sick of her, apparently. And yeah. So Frank McMaster is just somebody like Lucky confides in. We'll kind of keep him there for now. Yeah. Uh, so Don and Lucky at this point, they were customer receiving about a thousand dollars a week from Al.
0: That's a lot of money, especially for back then.
1: Uh huh. And soon after Al's discharge, he began visiting them again. And on one visit, a person actually came up and jabbed a knife. The, just like the tip of it. Just the tip. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> against Al's side and demanded cash. But Fry challenged the man and the man left. This was a setup. This was planned.
0: Interesting. That was
1: Fry's friend.
0: Yeah, yeah, trying to be like, look, we're we're on your side.
1: Yeah, we're friends. Uh, so again, Don nor Lucky had ever had any respo- respect or any th- any kind of admiration for Al. It's so stupid. Don would refer to him as a pinhead. Behind his back. Uh Fry would go on to tell a neighbor he wasn't getting the money he should from the doctor and that he was going to, quote, take him out if he don't get straight.
0: What does he owe you this money for, though?
1: Nobody knows. (laughs) And Fry continued to grow more suspicious, though, of Dr. Miller. Like some things just didn't seem right. Yeah, This is when he discovered that he didn't work at Detroit Receiving Hospital, but instead in an office in the Fisher building. And Don was also getting sick of the arrangement and told the friend she wanted out of the whole game, and she was going to try and get enough money from Al to leave Lucky and start over. Um, and Al had told her Lucky was a bad influence on her. No shit. Well, no shit. Yeah.
0: Everyone's a bad <laughs> a influence sick. on her. It sounds like.
1: Yeah, except for D. D, D was a good. He was good. He was a good friend. Yeah. And Fry started to devise a plan to blackmail Al with the information he had gathered. I believe also at this time, too, they had moved to a new house that Al was obviously. Paying for. Supported. Yeah. yeah. And they also wanted to clean themselves up and enrolled in a rehab clinic. Which is great. Yeah. Around this time at work, Al began to receive overdraft notices and in the mail because he fucking up. Yeah. And this is when he failed to show up to the Casper house to deliver more cash. The following day is the day that his car was stolen outside of Detroit Receiving Hospital. When she asked why he had been at Detroit Receiving Hospital, he just told her he needed to drop something off.
0: But what though?
1: Yeah, exactly. Now, the car was eventually recovered, but it needed many repairs. Al needed a way to get around, so he asked to borrow Jane's car. To go get detailed. Yeah. But he was off to Casper, where he told Don and Lucky... He had borrowed the car from a co-worker's daughter. Because, again, this car stands out. It is like a red classic car of some yeah. sort. Chili pepper. And Al picked them both up, took them for a drug run. This is right after their release from the rehab clinic. Oh, Dawn good, told good. Al, yeah. Great guy. Great I'll guy. I want to make sure that
0: rehab didn't stick.
1: <laughs> yeah. Don then told Al she needed a new car, so, of course, he gave her $1,600 for one. And... I don't know what prompted this exactly, but at some point, Al took the photo album that Jan had made of their belongings. And, uh, but what that means is he actually took it over to Lucky and Dawn for them to see. While there, he found a piece of paper with all of his actual information on it.
0: Oh, no. Mm-hmm.
1: The last 15 months had like boiled down to this the truth of who he was. There was actually another piece of paper, though, too, that he missed. On the front, grocery list, normal. On the back, it read, Al, arrange to spend time alone. Go out to lunch at least once per week. Maybe out to dinner or you fix him a special dinner. After work is best time. This is to prepare to get nice chunk of money before goodbye.
0: Yeah, he really should have checked that grocery list.
1: Yep. And this is around the same time Lucky and Don were like, you know what? Let's go. Let's escape to California.
0: What do you say we leave for California? We could drive all night and be there by tomorrow.
1: Mm -hmm. So we're now in the beginning of spring or spring, beginning of summer. On the other side of town, Jan was still growing doubts and suspicion. And she urged her parents to come for a visit so she could kind of like talk to them about her marital doubts. They agreed to come at the end of July. Jan started doing things around the house to prepare. One day she was out doing yard work. A man in a Dodge stopped and asked if this was Al Canty's place which was weird. She didn't know him. She said, yes, but he wasn't home. Do you want to leave a message? The man said he'd call later. When she told Al about it, he just shrugged it off. But soon after that, the call started in the middle of the night. When she answered, a heavy slurred Southern accented man would ask for a woman. Jan would tell him it was the wrong number and assumed it was drunk dials. On top of this, at least six hangups would happen during dinner time. She also had been tailed at least once on a drive home, forcing her to turn abruptly and hide her car in some shrubbery yeah. in some way. And she also found three fresh cigarettes butts one day under a kitchen window. At this point, Al had quit smoking and she noticed they were fresh because it had rained the night before. So everything not new would have been wet and these were dry.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, so this freaked her out and she checked the perimeter of the house, started getting a little freaked out. She went in, fired up the security system. And then she couldn't find the photo album she had made documenting all of their things.
0: Just missing. I wonder what happened to it.
1: Yeah. So she called out to leave a message, but he wouldn't arrive home till dark. He didn't return the call and she was freaked out. So she asked him about the album and he told her he'd taken it to show his friend Ray and must have left it in the car. Why are you showing Ray? Mm -hmm. Around this time, too, she also got in the car, and noticed a distinct smell and... A uh, fast food bag from McDonald's, which was not a thing Al would yeah. do. So July 12th, we're gonna start getting into some very specific dates. Jan and Al uh, they were supposed to kind of join their practice, as I mentioned. because uh, she was she, oh, she finished all the things. She was getting her own practice. They're supposed to join their practice. Yeah. And they were headed to the Fisher Fisher building to work on this and al suggested hey let's go grab breakfast at their favorite place where she had proposed which she was like oh that's different like he hasn't done anything like that in a while so that was kind of like nice she wasn't like head over heels like oh but she, she was just like oh this
0: is a nice surprise
1: yeah it was a uh, saturday al dressed in a shirt that jan had bought him even oh, i'm sorry this is the next day july 13th um and he came out he was in a shirt jan had bought him He grabbed his thermos. He took everywhere with him. And while headed out the door, he stopped, turned around and said, just wanted to say, I love you. I apologize.
0: Nice, but ominous. Mm -hmm.
1: This caught Jan off guard. She was still trying to decide if it was time to leave him, but she's like, wasn't sure. She's waiting for her parents to come into town. They were doing the next few days or whatever. Yeah. And summer storms began to roll in and kind of continue throughout the day. And again, we're at July 13th right now. Al called around 3 p.m. to say he'd be home around 7 for dinner. Around 6 p.m., she began to cook some burgers for the two of them. These burgers would never get eaten. Bummer. Yeah. Uh, Jan sat waiting for Al while watching Live Aid on TV. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Give some connotation of what was happening. Pop culture. Yeah. And at first, she blamed the weather, but by 11 p.m., she had a premonition and she was certain he was dead.
0: Fair guess at this point. Yeah.
1: She called her next door neighbor, Jim, who agreed to help her look. They went to the Fisher building and they saw that he had signed out at 635 because after 6 p.m. everybody had to sign in and out of the building. Yeah, They checked his office, but he wasn't there. And once home again, she called state patrol, the emergency room and Gross Point Park police, but nothing. Damn. Mm hmm. So July 14th, Sunday, Jan continued to search with her friend Celia. They checked the Fisher again. Nothing. They went to a police station. It hadn't been 24 hours, though, so they wouldn't let them record right. it. So they went to another one. And technically, at this time, it had been 24 hours since she had seen him. Uh, she also called her parents, asked them to come into town earlier. She called a radio station she knew from the Fisher building, who interrupted their broadcast to put out a missing alert for a psychologist from Gross Point Park. She called Ray. His mother, Gladys, but no one had seen him. Gladys asked to be picked up and wanted to wait at Jan, at Jan's house with her. And the Canty's deep connection, his parents, came into play. By Monday, a Gross Point detective called Jan to review some of the information, and the story quickly was picked up by the media. July fifteenth, still no Al. Jan convinced her mother, his mother, to go back home and said, "You know, I'll call you, but what if he shows up there?" Uh, They didn't get along, so.
0: That's a smart strategy. Like, you should go wait at your house and see if you should up there. We'll call each other. Get -hmm. out of my
1: house. Yeah. And uh, in the meantime, too, her parents had come in. So, or they were coming in that day at 2.55. She told them, they they knew everything happening. Her father started to help her search. And this is when he discovered Al never worked at that jail that he had said he was working at. She was like, what the fuck else? What, what is going on? July 16th, Ray, the friend from high school, showed up to Jan's office and told Jan a story of the drug addict and that Al, had, that Al had been seeing. But he didn't really know that many specifics. Yeah. By this point, an investigation had begun into Al's disappearance and Jan was called in by Inspector Gill and her parents accompanied her. She was questioned by several detectives. Gill Hill was quite the inspector, too. Firstly... He made his acting debut as Eddie Murphy's boss, Detective Todd, and Beverly Hills Cop. (laughs) Secondly, he had a reputation for getting suspects to talk, and previously he had even helped with the Atlanta child murders.
0: Okay. Uh, Which is a big... I don't know anything about it, but yeah.
1: There was a really good podcast series about it, but I can't remember right now. This is when Gil Hill told Jan the story of... They had been investigating a house and they had found Al's name and personal information in this house on Casper Street. He also asked her if her finances were in order or if she was suspicious of money issues. She let him know she had a hard time getting Al to talk about it. She then told him that Al had called around three, said he'd be home around seven. Uh, The conversation was long. The last thing he said or she had said was be safe. And that's about it. He then asked if she felt like she was being followed in the past few weeks. which.
0: She said, yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, Hill went on to say, I feel in my gut your husband is dead due to circumstantial evidence, but we don't have his body yet. So further discussion with Hill would ask Jan to look at mugshots of Fry and Spence if she asked if she knew either of them. She did not. She was warned to look at their faces and stay away from them if she saw them. Her parents uh, and her took this concern very deeply.
0: As they should.
1: Yeah, he'll inform them that their her house was under drive-by surveillance and it's more than likely Fry- Spence would not come near because they would probably know that. And so all of this was just completely unnerving. And Jan was super grateful for her parents being there, which her parents sound just amazing yeah. and wonderful. And I'm sorry to say that we are going to have to pause there. That is a little over halfway through this story. But we're going to come back to July 13th for part two next week to find out what the fuck happened.
0: Yeah, I need to know. (laughs) Like, this has been crazy so far. Like, literally, like, I couldn't guess where this is going next because of all the twists and turns that have happened so
1: far. Yeah. Again, I just and I was trying to sparse it down and there's actually a lot I left out. Like I said, I got it from uh, all this information from a book called A Life Device. A Life Divided, a psychologist memoir about the double life and murder of her husband and her road to recovery by Jan Canty, PhD, who.
0: Yeah, we know Jan.
1: Jan. Yeah. And it's really good. There's so many other things, too. I'll go more into depth about, like, all the stuff you can read or watch about it. But there's so many things that have covered this. I've never heard of this, though.
0: Me neither. Like, this is completely new to me.
1: This book. It's really cool because it is written from her perspective yeah, and like she, lots of research and stuff too. But also like she offers that psychologist like angle of it too. And there's a lot of talk about uh, trauma and things like that, which we'll, we'll talk about in part two a little bit more, but I don't know. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible situation. But I just, this woman had the strength to share this,
0: yeah 30
1: years after this book was written 30 years after all of this happened
0: it's probably cathartic um, by that point
1: yeah yeah i mean i hope so i hope yeah, so for the sake um but yeah just ugh, wild and i hate to do a part two i really do but
0: i mean i get it uh we will learn more next week mm-hmm. i guess yeah in the meantime do you want to do a quick two truths and a lie
1: i would love 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 that
0: okay so i actually did mine on covid like vaccine freebies offers that companies are
1: doing oh yes like like crispy cream yes oh, ignore
0: fact one sorry you're good um so, so here are my three facts Krispy Kreme is giving away one free donut a day to anyone with proof of at least one shot of vaccine. But if you choose not to get the vaccine, they will give you a donut and a medium coffee, but only on Mondays through May 24th. Fact two. Corona is having a promotion where if you post a picture of your bandaged arm with the hashtag ShotsForCorona and your Venmo username, they will send you $6. Like it's like a free beer kind of thing, since they can't actually send you oh, a free okay. beer. Oh, okay. I was
1: like, that's such a random amount, but okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: And then fact number three, Office Max, Office Depot, and Staples are all offering free in-store lamination of vaccine cards.
1: This is tricky, because I know Staples is for sure doing the free vaccine card lamination yeah. through May something, because I'm like,
0: yeah,
2: thinking I want to do it. Yeah.
1: Um, I don't know about the other two. The Corona one, I haven't heard, but also... Kind of makes sense. Although I feel like, why wouldn't they just send a coupon? No, because nobody sends coupons. Hmm. Venmo is so cooler, much cooler. It is. But I feel like the first one had some weird rules too. I know that you can get a donut there if you have a card. (sighs) I'm going to go with... Actually, I'm going to go with fact number one being the lie.
0: That is actually true.
1: Damn it. I knew it, too. But I thought maybe you twisted something weird with that. Extra no, if you don't have it one.
0: It's weird cause like on their facts page. It's like it has something like we understand that getting the vaccine is a deeply personal decision. Like, fuck, no. Just get the vaccine. Uh, yeah. Unless like yeah, no. you're like allergic to it or something.
1: Also, it's a donut. It's like a dollar.
0: Right. So
1: also like. I mean Krispy Kreme. I've only had like Krispy Kreme. Like
0: it's never once my go-to. Twice, it's never yeah. my go-to. Um, but yeah. So if you choose not to get the vaccine, uh, through May twenty fourth, if you go there on a Monday, they'll give you a donut and a coffee, which I'm like,
1: why do they get extra? Why do they? Get, yeah. Like, like this is Just a weird promotion, Monday?
0: Krispy Kreme.
1: I'm gonna go on Monday with my card and get two free donuts and a coffee. Yes. <laughs> No, I'm not. But
0: um, so that leaves fact two and fact three.
1: I'm gonna have to say two, and probably be wrong.
0: Two is the lie.
1: Dang! I mean, oh,
0: that's right. That's <laughs> you were correct. You were correct.
1: I was just prepared to be wrong.
0: No, um,
1: I've been striking out.
0: No, I um, so I actually based it off of a real one, which is Sam Adams, and they will give oh. you seven dollars via Cash App. If you mm-hmm. share a picture on Instagram or Twitter with the hashtag uh, shots for Sam.
1: Not as cute as the Corona one.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was. But then I like I was like, I'm going to do Corona just because I could see you thinking they need good publicity. And I'm like, they probably also don't want to associate themselves with this virus any more than they already have. They're probably so happy we call it COVID now.
1: I don't really think it's been a problem for them, though. I no. think a lot of people actually saw it as like a comedic moment of like, look at this. The bottle of corona. Uh, yeah, or remember, stupid, remember so. the
0: early pandemics when we were like, yeah, lol, it's a corona. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
0: a few weeks. Yeah. But um, Office Max, Office Depot, and Staples are all offering free in store laminations of vaccine cards, mm-hmm, uh, which I think is great. Yeah. So, like you said, Staples is only doing it through the end of May or, or ends May 1st. And then Uh, Both the office stores, Office Max and Depot are through July 25th. Uh, Budweiser is also giving away $10,005 beer on Bud coupons. So people do give out coupons still. Okay. These are like my fun facts at once.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But you have to sign up for the reward program and upload a picture of like your bandaged arm or like at the vaccine. And I'm like, that no. sounds like a lot of work for $5 that you can only spend on Budweiser's. I'm yeah. good.
1: Also, like, I didn't even take a picture with my card that day. I mean, like, I know it's fine if people are.
0: Right. Do what um, you got to do. But I'm like, I don't I need
1: that. did not post it on social media at all. I might put it actually on my, like, after two weeks day, like. Yeah. Something. But. No, I didn't do that. I right. I mean, I can put a band-aid on my arm if you really want me to. Right. I'll go stand in front of some concrete and pretend I'm in a parking garage because mine was in a parking garage.
0: Right. Um, this one I think is my favorite. The greenhouse of Wald Lake is giving yes, a, I
1: know this one too. Is giving Sorry.
0: out a free pre-roll from now until April 30th to anyone with a vaccine card. And I'm like,
2: mm-hmm.
0: bless up, greenhouse of Wald mm-hmm. Lake. That's such a interesting promotion. It was funny too because yeah. this all came from uh, mental floss, and so like this that was like oh. the last one on the list. They mentioned this Walled Lake dispensary, and so I thought I have to use this one now.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've, just, <laughs> I've driven by that place a few times, so I don't know where I saw it, but I remember reading it too or seeing it somewhere too, and being like, "Oh, Wald Lake."
0: I've <laughs> right. like,
1: told you i I have a spot for Wald Lake. Yeah, right here.
0: Can't go to the amusement park, but you can go to the dispo.
1: Yeah. I heard it's a nice one. I don't know who told me that, but somebody did. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Support local business. Yes. Yeah.
0: Uh, By think, getting free shit. Yes. I think that wraps us like a pre-roll.
1: Oh, we are rolled so well. We are pre-rolled so well.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Light it. Light it up.
0: Lit. To end this. Yes.
1: I don't know what I'm saying anymore.
0: You know what? It's okay because we're gonna we're getting to the part we can do in our sleep. If you want Mm -hmm. to follow us on our social medias, we're at Detroit Strange on Instagram and Twitter, Detroit Strange on Facebook, and our email address is Detroit Strange at gmail.com.
1: And I've talked so much. I'm just going to say do all the things that podcast. Subscribe, rate, review.
0: Do the things. Yeah. Patreon. Threadless. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: And until next time. Mm
1: -hmm. Stay stay strange.
0: strange.
1: This has been a production of Planet Ant Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Our theme song was recorded by sax and violins.